0: You're listening to a weekly podcast made by Miami Dolphin fans for Miami Dolphin fans. Your source for entertaining Dolphin news, insight, and general conversation. Here's your host, Michael Fink. Hey everyone, this is Mike with the fin Fans podcast. Um, this is our end of season show. Uh, of course, we've got more shows coming, but tonight we'll talk a little bit about uh what's happened the last game and uh the reaction from that and uh we'll talk about rebuild oh i hate the term rebuild but that's what we'll be doing and uh a tear down a tear down uh or build up i don't know however you want to phrase it uh tonight i do have as you just heard uh daniel reinhardt what's up fan fans and i've got jim johnson hey y'all and we're all back together for another show so, Jim, what did you think of that final game?
1: Why did you give me this plug here? man? Uh, <laughs> Get him,
0: Jim. Get him. You know, You'll be kinder than we probably will. I don't yeah, know. I'm,
1: <laughs> I'm a little bit bitter about that game. Um, yeah, You know, it was, it. I really think looking at that game, um, I think they'd already kind of given up after the the loss against Jacksonville, um, when we had the pick six and all that, I think that that kind of took the heart right out of them because they were never really in that Bills game. Um,
0: that team had heart?
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you said I'd be nicer, so I'll leave that one out there for you guys. But yeah, I, I just, you know, they did get the pick six and the trick play with Tannehill. Um, and I do have to say that he did score a touchdown, but that had to be one of the ugliest touchdown receptions I've seen in a long time. But you know, after that, it was, it was all the bills and, uh, you know, celebrating Williams' retirement. And, uh, I don't know, it was just, uh, it was ugly to see.
0: Daniel, are was... we ever going to win in Buffalo again?
2: We can't win there. I but we are tearing shit down and restarting from the bottom. So who knows what this next regime will do in Buffalo. My, my only hope is that we can go up there and win. Uh, but I, I hope for much better showings because I, I expected more I didn't get a chance right, to come on right, the podcast. Right.
1: Slow the slow the bus. Slow the bus. <laughs> I, see I, see do you see what's happened? You just said we gotta hope for much better showings. And that's what we've become. we we've lowered our expectations to just go out and have a good showing, not necessarily win. But <laughs> anyway, I just had to throw that in there. We
2: have we have tremendously lowered our expectations since the glory days you know, and right now, the way things have been over the past decade, we can't go to Buffalo and win. And under the Gase regime, we couldn't go on the road and win. And I'm, frankly, from every other fan's perspective as well, I'm tired of seeing that crap. And I'm going to talk about the game rather than Gase right now. I, I was just completely and utterly disheartened at the lack of drive, from the team the lack of heart from the team and typically that's not the case because they had been completing games they've been playing all the way through the games and they've been showing a lot of heart but in buffalo that didn't happen it was like the emotion of the kyle williams retirement bled through that tv screen into my living room and our team didn't stand a damn chance so i i'm not going to go into the stats i'm not going to go into anything else that i saw we got throttled and we gave up over 40 points for the second time in the final three weeks of the season and that's just not damn good enough
0: oh it's unacceptable i mean obviously it's unacceptable and uh uh, you, you you can't be doing that and win obviously and uh we certainly proved that a number of times this season you can't be doing that and keeping your job no, no. So tell me, what, do, what were your guys' uh, thoughts on uh, Ross's big announcement? I'll take this one.
2: I was talking to you guys pre-recording, and I said, you know, the thing about it is, is a month ago, and, and if any of y'all listening, go back and listen to our podcast from a month or more ago, the Gaze was already on the hot seat there was already questions about him keeping his job and i pounded the table saying that we need to keep gase we need to keep him and let him finish what he started as did we all yeah as did we all yeah we were all
1: in agreement there
2: but the final three weeks of the season i was ready to strangle myself and i was by the time that buffalo game ended i knew what was going to happen I didn't necessarily agree that maybe we should, but I knew that was gonna happen. And Mike will probably touch on this a little bit more, but he lost the locker room and he lost those guys and they didn't wanna follow him anymore. And by the time that game ended and we watched Kyle Williams finally retire, I was over Gase and I was ready to move on
0: as well. Well, I think as an organization, uh, you know, if, if I'm responsible, um... And I'm behind the head coach, but I see him lose the team. And uh, that's exactly what we saw. 100%. Uh, he's got to go. You yeah. can't replace all the players. The only option is to replace the coach. And you can't yeah. trade them all either. Right. And and that's where we're at. Uh, you know, I like Gase, and I do think that Gase is going to be successful somewhere, sometime. Yep. But... Uh, You know, he was a little headstrong. Uh, I think most young coaches his age are going to be headstrong. Some are smarter about it than others, but I think they're all headstrong. Um, Because that's what got him there. You don't get to that position without being confident in in your abilities and uh, uh, your program and what have you. Uh, But uh, when you hit your wagon to a quarterback, you better be right. Simple as that. You better be right
1: yeah I I think that's basically what happened and I mentioned it at the end of the Jacksonville game when Tannehill threw that pick six Um, they were in a tight game the whole way and and they they were right there and and had the opportunity again to win a game and it didn't happen and you know we're talking about the team quitting on Gase and I think some of it is not all and I, I don't mean to throw all of the weight onto Tannehill
2: Nobody does, but the defensive I, line of the other team does.
1: Well, exactly, that's <laughs> and that's part of the that's that's part of the whole problem is because Tannehill and Gase couldn't fix any of the issues, so they just pinned their ears back and went after him, and and they didn't have an answer. But I think the team realizes this after a while as well, and it's like, well, they gave up on the combination of Gase and Tannehill is what the is what it is, and you know, I mean, it's futile. You know, as the rest of the team, it's after a while, it's like, yeah, I can't do this anymore.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're, you're as a player, you don't want to pound your head against the wall when you know that the guy behind center is not doing the same thing. Uh, so, anyway, well, look, it's, it's tough. For me, we see,
2: us as fans see what Tannehill has been, is, was, all of that.
0: Well, not and, all of us see it.
2: Well, uh, any of us who have eyes open see it. Now, stop. Hold, no, and here's my <laughs> here's my point. And the rest of his team sees it.
0: That's right. And, yeah, that's, that's and, the, and the issue. And the players that left here see it and, and say we it.
2: Question, and we question, like, we say, why does Gay still have his back? And the team thinks, why is he still standing up for this guy? Why is he not calling it as he sees it? That's and, right. And either A they think that Gase is an asshole or B they think he doesn't know what
0: the hell he's doing. And either way they stop following him. Because well, what happens it. is it causes alienation because you're treating this guy one way and you're treating me a different way. Yep.
2: And then the yeah. other thing that I heard recently too, was uh-huh. that the players were complaining and the players were upset that he would stop going with what was working.
0: You know, I heard that too. And that's, and, that's, that's, that's true. And
2: I mean, yeah, we called him out on that. I mean, even on the podcast, we said, why, why does he stop doing the things that work? And, and they seen it too. And and they had enough of it.
1: Yeah. We see, we see a lot of things, you know, as fans and, you know, obviously we're a little different than a lot of fans because we spend a lot of time doing research and watching film and all. So we, we see little things and that some fans don't really grasp or, or care to look at, uh, but. You do know, care to acknowledge when they yeah, see it, or care, yeah, exactly. They just don't care, <laughs> they look you know. For excuses, yeah. No, well, know, the, it's not necessarily in
0: his eyes, <laughs> yeah.
1: But you know, so when you look at this big picture, I mean, you can only explain away, you know, and we're talking about why didn't they keep doing the things that were working. Um, granted, we had injuries, but you know, you've got other players and see if you can make it work. And they would just abandon ship on stuff that was working, so um you know, as a team, you know, you've got 50 some guys on your roster and, you know, 25 of them see a lot of playing time, you know, that, that same shit, different day gets old fast and you've got to, you've got to make it seem worthwhile. Are they going to bail out? And that's what you saw in that Buffalo game.
0: The difference between today and 30 years ago is, is today you have to keep your players with you. Exactly. You cannot alienate your players. 30 years ago, Jimmy Johnson or Don Shula or any of the coaches of that time, they can intimidate the players. They could make it uncomfortable for the players. They could do just about anything they wanted to do because if the player didn't go along, they were gone. Yeah. They can't do that today. And you have to coach differently today. And uh, when the players are saying, you know, you're going away from... Things that are working, I think the coach has to explain himself more than any coaches would have had to do in the past because the my way or the highway theory is not going to work with today's players.
1: Yeah, you keep hearing the name Bill Cower come up about coming back to coaching, and there's no way he's going to leave his plush armchair job. But, you know, he's an old school coach. You know, he's even if he did come back how much success would he actually have i don't think he could handle some of these 20 year old spoiled rotten players we have now so well see
2: we always talk about these players it's the millennials there's a different breed of nfl player and while there is some truth to that you know see some of the guys who are always on a knee or guys who want to stick up for this or that but the other part of that the other side of that coin is these players are smarter than they have ever been and they're they're in the film room more and they play more seven on seven in aau football and stuff like that and they just know the game better than any players in the past 30 years i don't know that
0: i don't know that, uh, I, I, don't, that. I don't i don't nec- i don't i think
2: s- i think so for sure and so when these players see things that they think can work and the coaches are going away from it then they have to explain themselves like like mike said and uh, it it tends to be uncomfortable
0: All I can tell you is that uh, in order to play team defense, real solid team defense, you have to be smart. You have to know your assignments. Um, To be an effective offensive line, you have to be smart. You have to know your assignments. You have to be able to handle a stunt. You have to be able to recognize a blitz and shift where you need to shift, and everybody else has to shift with you.
1: Hey, hey, do you want a job with the Dolphins? (laughs) (laughs)
0: No (laughs) Because I don't want to coach those 20 year olds (laughs) Because they're going to question everything I tell them Uh, But uh, you know The the, the point to this is It's more difficult to coach today Than it was 30 years ago And you've got to have that rapport with your players And also hold them accountable And that's a very hard balance Yep and Gase lost it Yep
2: and he is gone, and we are on to the next thing. Oh man! And part of the next thing is now. I wanted Tanner Baum gone, but apparently they moved him to the mailroom. Okay, and I
0: heard he was cooking hot dogs. I'm well, not sure he's in the whatever.
2: Maybe he'll do s'mores, but yeah, maybe, or maybe he'll run the the when the kids come in and you know get autographs. I don't know, but what what we do know is that Chris Greer is now completely in charge of all football operations, and will report directly to Stephen Ross.
1: That's the way I hear it. How, do you guys how Ross like, said it.
2: how do you guys like this? Is this something that you're excited about? Or are you tired of us just rehashing well, the same guys who've been in the organization and think we need to wipe it clean?
0: I'm going to give you two answers. My first answer is, I really like what he's done the first three years he's been running the draft. I mean, yes, we can talk about Harris, and we can talk about Gazeki but if we do that, we got to talk about Tunsell and we got to talk about Howard. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, that's kind of how it goes with the draft. You're not going to hit on everybody. But he's hit on a good number of players. And some later uh, round guys. Right. Yep. He's hit on a satisfactory number of players uh, for the three drafts uh, with the amount of picks that they had. Uh, so that's a feather in its cap as far as I'm concerned. My question is... What experience does he have running an organization? And when the shit hits the fan, is he going to be the type of man who can take the bull by the horns and make the right decision?
2: Yeah, that's the big question. And it's time to see if this time that he has spent inside the organization learning from guys like Parcells and even if if that has paid off. And if he can do free agency the way the team needs to, to be able to build, and if he can continue to not only draft well, but re-sign our homegrown talent.
0: Here's the thing, uh, Dan. He's been with the team, I think, 17 years or somewhere about that. I was thinking that. 14, something okay. like that. somewhere think, about that. Jim, do you know?
1: I think it was 17 years. He's been here a long time. He's the long okay. one of the well, longest tenure. Whether 17
0: guys. or 14, it, it, it doesn't matter. My point is this. He hasn't had great role models.
1: No, he hasn't.
0: <laughs> Jeff Ireland isn't a great role model. Well, the the Saints may think he is. I don't. I
2: don't either. I don't either.
0: And he you was know, a Parcells guy. Yeah.
1: My my biggest issue with Greer uh, is, like you say, Mike. You know, I I don't know if he has the experience to go from somebody that's just basically managing personnel and running the draft and and talking to Gase and Tannenbaum to the guy that's making all of the team decisions
0: well now you've got a schmooze agents
1: and you've got a it's a whole different kettle kettle of fish you've got a you've got to do every little detail that that you you he doesn't even know exists at this point. He's I'm sure he's already got more on his plate now than he thought he was going to have 2 days ago. But right. and it's only going to get worse.
2: And he um, does not have an off season.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, <laughs> he's got a full-time job. He's got his you know, he can put in as many hours as as he wants to. That's for sure. Uh I will say that I have liked basically everything that he has been involved with, but moving forward i just don't know how well it's going to work the thing is with our situation and our ownership and our team history over the last oh 20 years who that's an established well respected coach is going to want to take our job
2: well to go to before we jump into that one i just wanted to say that part part of me wanted to act like i like chris greer and i I agree with you, Mike, that he's had some good drafts recently. Hit and miss, like every draft. And I agree with you, Jim. Like, I do like Chris Greer. But part of me wanted to wipe it entirely clean and just rid it of all Miami ties. You know, like, get rid of Tannenbaum, get rid of Gase, get rid of Greer, because we need fresh eyes inside of this front office. Now, that's not going to completely happen because we ain't getting rid of Dan Marino. He's gonna be there. He's gonna have uh he's gonna have Greer's ear.
0: No, well, the same scouts are probably gonna the, be there as well. The
2: scouts are gonna be around. I uh, so when I'm looking at it, I actually do kinda of like this move. I, I like the fact that now we're gonna have one guy who's in charge of it all. Now we're gonna sink and sw- sink or swim with him though. So yeah. it's time.
0: Well he's gonna sink or swim with the results on the field. And right. and so right. are we.
2: As fans, yeah. we're going to sink or swim with whether yeah. Greer can put together the draft, the free agency, the agents, and, and all of the other things that go into being the GM and the VP. All right, so they, they've the
0: announced a couple of guys that they're interested in. and uh, One of them, obviously, is Darren Rizzi. How would you guys feel if uh, Darren Rizzi was uh, promoted to head coach?
1: I'll jump on this one, I guess. Um, we spoke about it briefly before the, the pod, but... You know, I don't know if Rizzy has the experience per se to to take the reins of a whole team, but I will say that he's he's done exceptionally well as a special teams coach and he has great respect throughout the league and from uh, a huge percentage of the players. Um, He's he's really the only guy on the staff that has survived, you know, the Joe Philbins and the you know the Dan Campbells and and all of the above. Uh, He's done very well with what he's done. Um, He's the safe pick because he's somebody you know and he knows all the players and how things have been done. But that may not be a good thing. You know, the only thing that I do think he would understand Darren Rizzi is that he might understand that this is a big jump for me and I think he would hire qualified offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators that were both willing to work with him so I think in that way it would be a good thing but I'm really not sure if he has the ultimate uh talent per se for what we need
2: so i want to premise this by saying i really do like darren rizzi i i like him a lot i like his fire right, i
1: like all right, his passion all right. you gotta <clears throat> you gotta stop saying you like everybody on the team i I, I
2: do i do like him though and <laughs> and i, I if we if we start talking about burke and how burke's gotta go i'll tell you i like him <laughs> i like Tannehill. he's gotta yeah, go
1: yeah we like I, Tannehill too. and i'm so. not
2: gonna say that rizzi has to go but I, you know, to be honest, and this may ruffle some feathers, but I don't want Rizzi as the head coach. And it's not necessarily because I think that he couldn't be a good head coach, because it's possible that he can. And he does have enough NFL experience working with NFL athletes and pros to know how to handle some guys. But the residual effects of being there through the last regimes, does he have his own does he have his own manner of coaching that doesn't have all those other men incorporated with it? And that would be my concern. I, I said a little while ago, I kind of wanted to start over fresh. We, we kept Greer. I, I want to start over fresh at head coach. I don't want to have a guy who has Miami ties as our head coach because I don't want all those residual effects from the last regime and the one before that and the one before that to have a, a say or fingers in what happens
0: and how would you feel about uh, Eric Bieniemy if
2: if there's one guy on the list of 5 and and I'll go through them real fast we had Munchak Fangio Brian Flores the Patriots DC and uh, the DB coach Chris Richard from from uh, Dallas who have who are the guys that we've reached out to and said we want to interview of the five guys Bieniemy would be the one that I would feel the best about but only because he is an Andy Reid guy. Andy Reed coaching tree has had a lot of success recently. I don't know what Beanie is going to be. He doesn't even necessarily play call call the plays in Kansas City. And yes, he's had some killer weapons there. But Andy Reid is doing something right with the rest of his coaches, and it's translating really well. See Doug Peterson and Matt Nagy.
0: Well, Flores is a uh, Belichick guy.
2: He's but. Belichick's guys have a track record of not uh not translating very well and Reed on the other hand his guys are translating really well to head coaching opportunities and I don't know if the enemy will do that but of those five I would feel most comfortable with the enemy and then second on that would be Richard what do you like about Richard I love what he did with the Legion of Boom in Seattle and how much that Dallas defense has changed since he became the, uh, the Dallas defensive play caller. He's not the uh, he's not the defensive coordinator, but he is the play caller there and their defense has really stepped it up since he's taken over play calls. Uh, I just like what he brings. Uh, And I, like I said, he's a first time coach too. And and guys, more than likely, we're going to end up getting a first time coach because our job opening is way down on of the eight. We're near the bottom of the most sought-after job openings. So we're probably going to get a first-time first coach. And I, I like him. I just like his moxie, I suppose.
1: What's your thoughts on him, Mike?
0: I don't have an opinion of him. Uh, the enemy is a little bit intriguing, uh, but he's 49. Uh, Rizzi is 48. Richard's 39. I like 39 better than I like 49 and, and 59. <laughs> so uh, I'm 38. Know,
2: I, I don't I don't necessarily think the age matters too much unless you're well, talking I, about a fangio I, I, at sixteen.
0: I think one. it I think it matters because you're dealing with these younger millennials who need coddling. Well, so I I think it matters. On
2: um, that note though, you know, Bienemy played in the league. So yeah. he knows what it takes to be a pro athlete and
0: I think he would handle them well. And, you know, Pete Carroll is up in age. He's a successful coach. Andy Reid's up in age. He's a success, uh, successful coach. So I'm not saying, you know, an older guy can't do it. Right. But uh, it has to, I, I think the players relate better to the younger coaches. It
1: has to be a, an older, well-respected coach. You're exactly. Not gonna, you're not going to bring a you know a 65-year-old that's, that's never, you know, coached much at all in and have any success. It's, you know...
0: Well, Munchak is fifty-eight. How would you guys feel about him?
1: Meh. Uh, you know, we're we're looking at this list of guys, and none of them are giving giving me a warm and fuzzy feeling. That I just, you know, we got to have this guy here. He's gonna he's gonna build this thing up and make it fantastic. I I don't have that guy that's sticking out to me. Same Yeah, Munchak is just. Uh, He's kind of like your average Joe. You know, he's been hired and fired before. Um, you know, has he seen his ceiling? We don't know. You know, how interested in a head coaching job is it? Is it? I mean, a head coach's job isn't something you take lightly. You have to put a lot of your life into it.
0: You have and, to put all your life into it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and
1: it's, you know, guys talk about these, you know, retired guys coming back. And it's like, these guys probably love being retired. So
0: sure.
1: I don't, you know... I mean, of these. you got guys- <clears> to <throat> be a special
0: person to do it to begin with. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. you're really putting your family on the back seat and it- you're putting life on the back seat. Exactly. You know, you're putting all your being yeah. into being yeah. a uh, professional coach. Yeah. It's a tough thing to do.
1: Yeah. I, I'd have to say that uh, Vic Fangio is, has done some good work on the defensive side of the ball, but. I just don't know how that would if he's if he's ready for the whole the head coach thing. It's like you said, just
0: haven't thought so. He's been there for what forever? Yeah, four years or something like that. Yeah.
2: As far as Munchak's concerned, we know what he is, right? You know what I mean? We've seen him many times. We've seen him in Tennessee recently, and they fired him after making the playoffs. You know, we'd have a hell of a good run game. You know what I mean? If we had Munchak. As for Fangio i love what he does on the defensive side of the ball but he's been an nfl coach for 30 years
1: right and he's never
2: been a head coach right so that tells me that maybe that's just not for him and even though these guys we're not going to be the only ones to interview him i don't i don't think fangio is the guy yeah and i would rather take my shot with a guy who is a younger guy i'm not saying that because i think the age matters but a younger guy in the vein of a, a Cliff Kingsbury, a guy who is who just moved on from Texas Tech and went to the USC to be their offensive coordinator. I, I don't know that he's coming in and interviewing for Miami Miami's job, although he is being interviewed for a couple of other ones. I would rather take my shot on a guy like that who is going to come in and going to change the entire landscape of Miami than, than go with a Vic Fangio.
1: Yeah, and the other thing is, is like you know, he probably doesn't want a head coaching job. If he's been in the league this long, he probably doesn't care about it. So you know, now wouldn't be a good time for him to start. Uh, you know, the Biennial w- is probably the best option on this list. Would bring the most excitement. Uh, the Andy Reid thought process and all that. So uh, you know, I guess I would be. I would. That would be the guy I picked uh out of these this group of candidates right now
0: here's the thing uh which one of these guys do you think is going to have enough clout to bring in the best coordinators i don't know if clout matters i don't think
1: i don't think any of them do other than uh you know fangio or rizzi
2: yeah they don't they don't have a lot of clout they're still young up-and-coming coaches never been a full-time coach so full-time head coach so yeah
0: here's why i say it matters okay you saw the staff that Gase originally put together i mean you can only pick from the guys who aren't employed you're you're not stealing many coaches from other teams uh unless you're promoting them to something that they're not Uh, so odds are you're gonna have a pretty fresh staff of coaches that that is unemployed so you want to attract the top names of that group because as you go down through it, those coaches are unemployed for a reason. Uh, so I, I do think clout matters, and I do think uh, you know there's there's eight other teams or seven other teams that are trying to get, fill out staff. So uh, you've got some competition there.
2: So, yeah, and, and there's a there's a likelihood that some of the coaches will be retained you know like the defensive line coach what's his name kachurik yeah i would like to see him retained there's an opportunity for some of those guys also to be uh to be promoted the db coach i can't remember his name but he's he was a former player and and has done pretty good with Xavier howard and minka fitzpatrick so like i wouldn't mind seeing something like that happen as well but you know, getting back to a couple of the head coaching options, and if I was Chris Greer or had his ear, I'd be telling him to get on the horn with Matt LaFleur from Tennessee as well as David Shaw, who are my top two choices.
0: All right, so your choice isn't anybody they're interviewing now is what
2: you No, think. no. If I had to choose who I wanted, hopefully this is not the final list. You know, like these are the first five. This is the first five that after 48 hours, but if it was me – uh, you know, there's going to be more on this list. And David Shaw is a well-known coach of Stanford. And Matt LaFleur is the guy who was working with uh, Sean, Sean McVeigh out in L.A. last year and then got an O.C. job this year in Tennessee. And, and he is in the vein of a McVeigh young guy, 37, 38 years old, a lot of upside. I'd like to see him. As All a right. So interview. we find
0: a coach. What do you think of the thought process behind just completely rebuilding? What exactly? What Do, exactly, do, you, what exactly do you, you think Ross made the right decision in saying, okay, we're not going to sign any more older free agents. We are going to build from the draft. We're going to you know, sign young free agents, and we are going to build from the ground up. A. A+. Plus. Yes, you're please. all for it. Yes, please. you're all for it. Yes, you're okay if they're three and twelve or three and what thirteen yep. for the next couple of years. Yep,
1: I'm basically okay with it. But yep. there's there's always the ability to bring in, you know, an older vet. There's no there's no reason not to. What you what you can't do is bring in a 35 year old and pay him huge money. You know, so you can bring in all the vets that you want. Realistically, you just have to, you just have to be careful with your budget because if you screw up your budget, and that's what we've been dealing with for uh, probably eight years now, anyway. You know, you can bring in some some free agents here and there. You're going to have to realistically.
0: Well, but, I, I do think you have to to fill out your roster, but the thing yeah. is, we've been bringing people in that we're relying on. Yeah, for like sitting
1: for starters. Yeah, no, yes. I I wouldn't want to do that. No, I, I mean, I'd I'd throw your Asiata out there at guard, and and it's either it's either learn the position or die. We'll find somebody else. Or, or spot well. on. Exactly, <laughs> spot because on. you've got draft capital. The guy showed potential, or you wouldn't have drafted him. Throw him in there. I mean, yep. Spy what, on. what do you got to lose? Realistically, we should have been playing him four or five games ago.
2: Yeah, same thing with, with guys like Charles Harris. He needs more snaps. You know, obviously Quinn and Wake are going to get the majority, but you have a guy, you draft him in the first round, you need to give him more snaps regardless. So if you don't bring in a Quinn, then he gets more snaps. And, exactly. and I love the idea of building through the draft and, and – I am even okay with being three and thirteen for a year or two, because you start getting all that young talent. They start get the experience in the position. They get better, and then you and then you find a quarterback in twenty twenty or twenty twenty one who changes the landscape of your team. Because we've seen what uh, what a Trubisky can do in Chicago with limited weapons. You know they said it this year. He's going to have better weapons, and and he does, but. Like, we see what happens when a Deshaun Watson comes to a Houston team.
0: Or a Mayfield in Cleveland, and you can go on and on. Uh, I was going to leave Mayfield out. Prescott <laughs> when he came to Dallas. You know. I mean, you can go on and on. A uh, yep. uh, young quarterback that's got a little bit of game to him can, can spark a team. Absolutely. Yeah. Mahomes, so we just – Mahomes is going to Philadelphia. do it from the bottom up.
1: Yeah, Mahomes is only in his second year, so yep. – uh, you know, Ross Ross made a statement the other day, and he's taking a lot of heat over it about not wanting to win now and all about what Gase said, you know, about what no, he...
0: It was a dumb thing to say. It well,
1: was, it was. It was kind of dumb, but I I understand what he was trying to get at. And it's exa- exactly what we're talking about right now. He's willing to, to take a hit this year or next year and, and not yes, have but
0: a... his critique was that Gase wanted to win now. Right. Well, any coach worth his salt wants. is going to want to win. Now,
1: exactly. You, you if you don't want to win, uh, you got a problem. You're in the wrong business. Exactly. Well,
0: and and so what I
2: hear when I hear that is that Gase was sacrificing the future of the team to win now, and part of that is on Stephen Ross because that's the expectations. That's that, right. that he has let. That's
0: a hundred percent right. And,
2: and that's what he's put on Tannenbaum. That's what. That's what he's told these guys. He wants to win and because of it gase has sacrificed the future of the team by bringing in a a robert quinn which here you go jim i like robert quinn but (laughs) uh, he's sacrificed the future of the team by not giving reps to guys like charles harris or allowing the rest of the team to grow and uh, i i don't think that what he was saying was that gase was losing his job because he wanted to win now but he was looking more towards the future and sacrificing the mentality of if we don't, I think the message he
0: was trying to get across was, uh, that he would have been okay if, um, was playing the younger players instead of signing the older veterans. That's what he's saying now, but had they come in and lost, uh, you know, 13-14 13 14 games I guarantee you he'd have fired gaze so I don't think anything would have changed I just think it's something he said in the moment
2: and I believe it's why we heard all this stuff during the draft about him asking why not trade down right Be, and and I'll I'll put dollar bills on the line right now that we trade down in this upcoming draft
0: to build I think they equity. should they, yeah I think they should
2: I I do not see the opportunity to, to first of all to move up but second of all to stay put we have to get you more equity. assets right we need more assets we need to do it in the vein of Belichick you know he trades up and down up and down up and down in the draft and just stockpiles picks and I think that's what we have to do Jimmy and,
0: Johnson was pretty good at that and, as well and I
2: think Greer is going to find a way to do that
1: yeah we'll have to hope that Greer with his new newfound power Uh, will have enough time in his day to still be good at the draft. And if he's not getting contorted by Mike Tannenbaum and Stephen Ross, uh, he he might be a draft guru. We'll have to wait and see. Um, But we all know, we all have become pretty accustomed to Stephen Ross not being a very good public speaker. You know, Stephen Ross has... Sounded silly several times, uh, you know, in public speaking. You know, we all know he's a multi-billionaire, uh, and you don't get that way uh, without drive and and intelligence and all. But he is just not a good public speaker, and and he needs he needs somebody to uh, help him with his transcripts and his uh, speech preparation or something. So. Uh, hopefully moving forward uh, we, get, uh, we get we we get get a little bit better team organization and uh, a better roadmap for the future.
0: I just want to say this about Ross, I mean I, I agree with you 100%, I, I said it on the page today, I think he's worst, one of the worst public speakers I've ever heard. Maybe he should uh,
2: practice with a couple of
0: friends on a weekly basis. I don't know, maybe he can do a podcast, who knows. <laughs> Try it out. You know, he, he needs practice, practice, practice. but. Uh, my thought was that you can tell he wants to win. Um, the guy spends whatever he needs to spend. He does whatever he needs to do. The problem is he just has not yet hired the right people. Uh, I hope that this coach that he hires is the right person because this is getting old. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a long, long time since the Miami Dolphins were in NFL power. And uh, we're not going to be until the right people get hired, whether that is Greer and the coach they're about to hire or that is somebody else. Uh, somebody that knows people has got to be making these decisions. And, and the big question that I have, as much as Ross wants to win, is he that guy? Is he that guy to make these decisions?
2: You know, and it, it goes hand in hand because if the coach is the right guy and Greer is not then we fail right and if Greer is the right guy and the coach is the coach can't right then we fail and what's going to end up happening is Greer is going to get looked at like he didn't know what he was doing because the coach isn't getting the most out of the guys and then we start over again and so they've got to have like like Jim said earlier they got to have the chemistry they've got to be able to put it together together and, and that's how Miami becomes a power
0: again. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll go, go ahead, Jim.
1: Uh, sorry about that, Mike. You know, when you look at the the stable teams in the NFL that have been good quality teams for a number of years, they all have one thing in common, basically, and that is a coach, owner, quarterback, trio. Uh, you know, you we can talk about the Patriots. They probably
0: have a GM, too.
1: Well, I mean, it's... I, by coach slash upper management uh they all have they all have a group and they're all usually tied to a also a a hall of fame quarterback of some caliber you know you you look at you know uh new orleans with with breeze down there and, and and Green Peyton. Bay
0: with Mike McCarthy. That's right. The teams, the teams that consistently win have a high caliber quarterback. Yes. I, I don't think you're 100 right, Jim. That.
1: But what I'm talking yeah. about is the consistency. You know, the Patriots, the Patriots have had the same coach and quarterback for pushing 20 years. Uh, because the, they win the steel. <laughs> well, it's yeah, but that's that's part of why. Uh, right.
0: You know, this goes hand in hand. This, they're there because they win, and they win because they're there.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and you know, the Steelers, the Ravens. Uh, a lot of these teams, you know Seattle, all these quality teams have had consistent coaching and ownership and, and basic team thought process for a number of years and it, it makes it a hell of a lot easier.
0: Could Gase and Greer have won? We'll never know. you follow me yeah uh, not if you're going to tie
1: yourself to Ryan Tannehill yeah. and then yeah. and then right. not and then not build up your offensive line. I mean, would that's, have been that's, really, it,
0: that's the mystery. That's it would what, have been really nice
2: to see Gase just call it as he's seen it and been able to get enough time to get a young quarterback. But yeah. we ain't never going to see that here. Maybe in Arizona. Maybe we'll get to see what he does with Josh Rosen. I mean, to-
0: I'm surprised that they put the entire health of the offensive line on two, you know, older veterans. I'm surprised they did that.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked at that. Everybody knows that Tannehill needs protection, and that's yes. fine. I'm not condemning Ryan Tannehill. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a given. You have to, you have to protect him, and they didn't do enough to protect him. Right. I'm
0: okay that they did that, that they brought in those free agents. And I have no problem if they say these are the guys we want to start. But they should have used a little bit more draft assets, even if that meant trading down and and, uh – drafting a couple of linemen with a couple extra picks or whatever, they had to, they had to stabilize that offensive line and they just have not been able to do it.
2: And that's one of the big reasons this first draft with Greer as the GM and VP is going to be huge to see because was that on Tannenbaum by not wanting the guys? Did Tannenbaum have his fingers in the draft? Did Greer not draft those guys because he felt like we could do without them? is it because gase was saying we need these playmakers or is he going to be able to draft and actually build the way a team needs to be built because any good home is built on concrete and your concrete starts with the offensive defensive lines Uh so if we don't draft those guys this year and start building from the inside out you know we're still probably going to be in trouble no matter who the quarterback ends up being
0: all right so I'm just going to say this. I, I have no problem with what they've done. I, I, like I said, I think Gase uh, made some critical mistakes. And uh, tying himself to Tannehill, I believe, was one of them. And uh, alienating the players was another one. Uh, you know, you can't do that and be successful as a coach. Uh, because, like I said, you can't replace everybody. Uh, so that's how I see that now. As far as we are concerned as a podcast Uh, We're going to stay weekly through the Super Bowl, and then we'll uh, see how the listenership is, and maybe we'll go to every other week. Maybe we'll stay weekly. We'll see at that time. Uh, But uh, we do ask that you listen, you like, you share, you comment, and uh, uh, keep that going because that helps a lot. Uh, Guys, you have anything else you want to add? No,
2: just thank you for listening, everybody. And while this next little bit of span of time year maybe two years may be painful we bleed aqua and orange and win loser tie we are friends till we die so we're looking forward to your continued podcast ship what we can we, we are looking forward word? to you continuing to listen like and share the podcast get it out to more people and we will continue to bring you content
1: I just hope everybody keeps listening, and uh, we'll keep bringing you the information as we get it, and uh, giving you our uh, vested opinions on uh, on our favorite team. And uh, I just want to take a minute to wish everybody a very happy, happy, happy yep. and prosperous 2019. And let's hope that 2019 is the best uh, the best year the Dolphins have seen in a while.
0: Happy New Year, y'all! Happy New Year, and uh, fins up! Fins, fins up.
1: up! Fins up!